Well, good morning, everyone. I was watching that video, seeing the um, camel um, uh, animal cracker being blown into the cup. I would have, it would have been more impressive if it was an eye of a needle, but still pretty good. Still pretty good. That was awesome. Hey, uh, Pastor Ryan and Lauren and their family are on vacation this week, wrapping up a well-needed week in Michigan, and so uh, they may be worshiping with us on Facebook Live. They may not, but just in case, turn around and wave to the camera, say hi to Pastor Ryan and Lauren if they're worshiping with us this morning. Well, I'm Pastor Dave. I'm the pastor of adult ministry here at Harvest Palace, and uh, it's my pleasure to share the Word of God with you this morning. And uh, we're going to continue where Pastor Ryan left off last week in the book of Romans in our series called Nail It Down. We're in chapter 12, so you can start turning to chapter 12 in the book of Romans. And it started with Paul urging us to present ourselves to God as living sacrifices because of the great, great mercy he has shown us. Last week, Pastor Ryan talked about having genuine love, especially for believers as we worship, walk, and work for Christ. Today, we'll finish chapter 12, and the appeal to have genuine love extends out from the church into the world and particularly toward people who are hard to love. A few years ago, we had a men's Bible study, a book study um, on humility of all things, and we started out by talking about pet peeves that we all had. What are your pet peeves? Guys wrote things down. Three of the five top pet peeves had to do with other drivers on the road. Many drivers on the road, you probably experienced one on your way in, are hard to love, you know, as you're driving. I drive 30 minutes from Indiana, and um, I have many, many people that are hard to love for me as I drive uh, down uh, the, the highway. So there's the texting drivers. You know, those people are hard to love. There's the driving slow in the left lane drivers. There's the no turn signal drivers. There's the weaving fast through traffic drivers. And what I've found is People that are hard to love oftentimes are me. I'm those people sometimes, you know, hopefully not the texting and some of those things, but, but um, you know, I become sometimes the thing that I, uh, I dislike, and uh, so I am sometimes also hard to love. So uh, as a result of Romans 12, 14 through 21, we titled the message today, Love Those You Don't Love. Love Those You Don't Love. So let's read Romans 12. 14 through 21, and see what God has to say about loving those that are hard to love. Verse 14 starts out with, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a whole ocean of things to explore in this section, and we're only going to swim in it for about 30 minutes. So let's pray for the Lord to draw our attention to what he wants us to see as a church and as individuals. Let's pray together. 
Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, um, we are aware of the rapid-fire commands that are being thrown our way to love those who are hard to love. We pray, Lord, that you would draw attention to people in our lives that we need to heed these scriptures and love them in a way that would be Christ-honoring. Help us, Lord, to have big ears. May we have soft and open hearts to what you have to say to us this morning. Please help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's two groups of people in this section that Paul identifies that are hard to love. The first one, and you can write this down in your notes, love people who annoy you. Love people who annoy you. They frustrate you. They irritate you. They drain you. I'm fascinated with political science. I love reading books about what happens behind the scenes with government, especially with the presidents we've had, and um, what was it like to be President Clinton's military advisor or the second President Bush's decisions? Why did he make the decisions he made? I am, uh, uh, really look forward to reading uh, a book on this current administration and the objective view, an objective view, on how President Trump won the last election. It'll be fascinating to read. I love political science. Um, I want to read uh, verse 15 and 16 again in uh, Romans 12 because uh, there's a series of commands related to how we are show, uh, to show genuine love for those who are hard to love. 15 says, or 16 says, um, sorry, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. That really applies to our political climate in our country uh, today. So I'd like you to write this down as a subpoint under point one. Always pursue humility. Never resent or mock. It's telling us that in 15 and 16. Always pursue humility. Never resent or mock. We find people that are hard to love in the political arena, not so much the politicians, maybe sometimes, but the um, caustic uh, argumentative conversation that flares up when issues are brought up. And oftentimes as we um, either read or have these conversations or see them texted or posted on social media or what have you or in the news, uh, those people become very irritating, very annoying, very, very quickly. And so um, far, uh, for far too many people, we're going to post some uh, faces on the screen of political leaders, for far too many people seeing these faces those faces. Seeing these faces stirs up a storm of rude, argumentative conflict and disrespect in our country that's growing worse. We speak evil of our leaders, and we condescend and we mock those who see things differently, and it's very epidemic right now. And unfortunately, it's also permeating the church. We do the same things. We're very mocking. We're very resentful. We're very condescending. And the Lord is saying to us, Love those you don't love. Love those who are annoying to you. 70% of Americans see political conflict as the biggest people problem we face right now. We've gone from attacking the problems to attacking the people. So we as the church have a great opportunity and a calling to bring, a refreshing, to bring refreshing speech into this political fray, to respect instead of condescend. We have a great chance to lovingly show others that God is actively working in our hearts and that we belong to Christ. We 
are concerned about the issues, we might be more fired up about the issues than ever before, but the way we treat the people in the process, we can't hold tightly to truth and let go of the wheel of love. We have to hold tightly to both. Before the last election, uh, men in my small group got together in 2016. It was the Friday before the Tuesday election, and we looked at Titus 3, 1, and 2. And we talked about the, uh, uh, the outcome of the election that's coming. Either pres- or, you know, who's going to be president? Either Donald Trump is going to be president or Hillary Clinton is going to be president. And depending on how you feel about that, you're going to have to respond to a lot of different comments and conversations, and you're going to feel things. So we talked about, as a small group, men, let's hold each other accountable for um, how we respond to the results of the election. Let's look at Titus 3, 1 through 2 up on the screen. This is enough message right here. We could read this and soak it in and I'll go home. There's a load here. And it says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And then look at verse 2. We're getting ready, remember, to experience the outcome of the presidential election. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Wow. What if we brought that into the conversation on social media? What if we brought that into the conversation and the comments on the news articles online? What if we brought that to the workplace conversations? That we in the church were going to um, be people that speak evil of no one, that show perfect courtesy toward all people. And uh, these verses in, in Titus look very similar to the way Paul laid out the passage in Romans, kind of rapid-fire commands. So real love combines feeling with patient action, not just um, people that annoy me. I have a warm feeling in my heart, but I need to, in my words and in my actions, pursue them with loving response. Tim Keller, a pastor out east, says that when Paul says to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, he's calling us to stop and seek to understand the inner world of the other person. So moving forward, as I think of those faces up on the screen a minute ago, will I mock and belittle the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, or will I pray for her and for the good, you know, for godly wisdom to be given to her? Will I pray for the President or will I resent him and call him names? Will I continue the condescending snarky, argumentative attacks against others who see things differently or value them as a person and seek to understand even if I disagree. So love those who don't love by loving people who annoy you. Always pursue humility, never resent or mock. That's what the word is telling us. And then another sub-point you can write down is this. Always have equal regard for others, never look down on them. Always have equal regard for others, never look down on them. Another way to say this is never think you are better or smarter than them. So for me as a 54-year-old man, that sounds kind of juvenile to say. It sounds like something that we would be told in fifth grade. Never think you're better or smarter. But that's what the word haughty means in the passage. Stuck up, high-minded, snooty. I think I'm better than you. I think I'm smarter than you. And we treat people that annoy us and frustrate us in this manner. So as I say that, 
And as I was preparing this, people started coming to mind in the past and in the present. Who have I been haughty with? Who have I felt like I'm better than or smarter than? I would never admit to that, but in my heart, who comes to mind? Who comes to mind for you right now at work, at home, in your neighborhood, even at church? Who comes to mind? Put the guardrails up right now. See, the Word is telling us some things to do. There's, there's times in the, in the passage where it will tell us, hey, you know what, as much as you can do, be at peace with everybody. Do your best to make peace. It's not up to you totally, it's up to the other person too, but do what you can to make peace. Other times the passage is telling us, never do this, always do this. And so we want to, when the Word is being direct with us, we want to be responsive and say, I will always do this and never do this. Do not be haughty. Put these guardrails up. The directives in this passage are strong. Do not curse. Never avenge yourselves. Never be wise in your own sight. Never. So who are the people you have a tendency to look down on? Who are the people that annoy you and are hard to love? Are they in this room? If they're in this room, point them out. Just go ahead and point at them. You annoy me. I just want you to know. I just want to be truthful with No. Probably not a good plan. But who are the people that annoy us? How about uh, complaining people? How about complaining people? Every week there's a new complaint, there's more drama, there's more self-focus. The people um, uh, that complain when it's too cold, they complain about the polar vortex, but then they complain when it's too hot. You know, it's like, oh, pick a side. Can't have it both ways. They seem to make up new ways to seek attention and they are people we like to avoid and look down on. And the Bible says never do that. Never look down on them. So complaining people, how about condescending people? They are always right. They always have the best perspective. They like to communicate in text and social media in all caps. Because, you know, if they didn't put it in all caps, I might have missed the point. I might have missed the word completely. I wouldn't have even understood or seen it. They had to make sure they were yelling it. If they didn't capitalize it, I would have missed it. If someone disagrees with them, the people that when someone disagrees with you, they have this snarky response of, well, obviously, you don't get it. Obviously, you're missing the point. So if you find yourself using the word obviously in your communication a lot, you're probably one of these people. Right? Unfortunately, I am one of these people. At least one time, according to my wife. <laughs> 30 years, Crescent and I have been married, and a long time ago she said, when I married Mr. Wright, I didn't know that his middle name was always. Ouch. Wasn't very nice. So now that was 30 years ago, and I obviously am not like that anymore. Obviously. <laughs> so that's all changed. Good thing. <clears throat> this section started back out, uh, back in verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. It started out with Paul's appeal for us to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice because of God's mercy. Now, Ephesians 2, in summary, tells us once we were dead in our sins and were by nature children of God's wrath, but God comes in with his mercy because of his great love for us. He made us alive together with Christ by his grace so that he can continue to shower blessings on us for the ages to come. His mercy and his grace are amazing. 
It is by grace we've been saved through faith, and it is a gift from God. So the section started out again with an appeal to God's mercy, and now present yourselves as a living sacrifice, and now we're at the part of the chapter, love others who are hard for you to love. So it follows that we can say no one stands in need of God's grace more than I do. No one stands in need of God's grace more than I do. We were dead in our sins. Dead is dead. No one is more or less dead than another person who is dead. No one stands in need of God's grace more than I do. I'm inviting you right now to say that with me. Okay, ready? No one stands in need of God's grace more than I do. And I really need to hold on to that. I received this gift of God's grace through faith in Christ on March 17, 1974. I didn't have a ponytail. I wasn't 18. I wasn't in a rock band. But I'm still a pastor. It happened a little differently for me. I was eight. March 17, 1974, I was at a church in the city on the north side. The pastor shared the gospel at a Sunday evening service and shared with me that Christ died for my sins so that I could go to heaven instead of going to hell. He invited people to ask Christ for forgiveness and uh, to receive him as Lord and Savior. I didn't respond to the invitation right then, but later that night uh, there was a social fellowship hall thing, and um, I went up to him privately afterwards and said, I want to be saved. And so he led me to the gift of eternal life through Christ that night. It was fun when I first came to Harvest four years ago. There was a couple, and um, Margie and Jim Wolf used to go to church here. Margie Wolf is the daughter of the pastor that led me to Christ. That was a fun treat. I walk in, and there she is. And uh, so that was, that was fun. So um, I understood at an eight-year-old level that I had the universe's biggest problem. My sins separated me from the life and love of Christ, but because of God's mercy toward me, he sent Christ, God did, to be the universe's solution, biggest solution and only solution, to bring me back to him and uh, to save me. 2 Corinthians uh, 8, 9, we're going to put up on the screen, is one of my favorite verses that reminds me of the Lord's mercy towards me. The great one did this for me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love to stop in the verse right there and look us all in the eye and say, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, don't you? And for many of us, we would say, yes, I do. Yes, I do know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What a great word picture of God's grace and his mercy. So keeping our minds renewed and reminded of God's love and mercy helps cultivate the humility we need to love people hard to love, to love people who are annoying, to keep us thinking rightly about ourselves and others. Some years ago, a friend of mine recommended I read this book. The book was called Humility. And he said, Dave, you really need to read this book. <laughs> no, no, you really need to read this book. And then he reassured me that um, obviously I wasn't prideful, obviously not, no, but he said, all of us need to, but read this book on humility. It's a game changer. And so um, we had uh, some men in, our, uh, in, a, in a Bible study. We've done this book in small group. We have it in the Harvest store, and uh, it's called Humility. And uh, it's a book full of ways to cultivate humility and weaken pride in our lives, to not be haughty, 
<clears throat> and um, uh, so this book reveals that uh, this basic point, I am an arrogant man, and the best I can do is hope to pursue humility. So if I could put that on my tombstone, this is Dave Grutheson, I am an arrogant man who tried to pursue humility. It's about the best I can hope for, you know, is pursue humility on a regular basis. <clears throat> so uh, the reason why it's so important is because pride's ultimate effect is that it hardens us so that grace for the Christian is no longer amazing. When God's grace becomes no longer amazing grace, we have a pride situation that needs some work. We, need, we have it every single day. When God loves us, when we hear that God loves you, God loves you, and we have a prideful heart, we subtly think, well, of course, what's there not to love? You know, God loves you. Well, of course he loves me. Humility can be defined like this, not, not by thinking less of myself, but by thinking of myself less. Embedded in a humble heart is not being preoccupied with myself, but being preoccupied with Christ. And so um, in, in the book, among the many helpful ways to cultivate humility and weaken pride, instead of looking down on certain people and thinking less of them, the book encouraged us to identify evidences of grace in them. Where do you see God at work? How can we train ourselves when people are hard to love or just in general? How can we train ourselves to identify, hey, I see God working in you and I want to tell you about this? Actively looking for ways that God is at work in our life. So uh, you go back to the church at Corinth, and it's likely that no church Paul ever served was in more desperate need of adjustment than the church at Corinth. This church was a piece of work. These are some of the issues that this church dealt with. Serious doctrinal error. They drifted from the cross being central, and they were becoming seduced by human wisdom. There were divisions in the church. There was immorality that they were proud and tolerant of. They were lawsuit happy. They greatly misunderstood and misused the gifts of the Spirit. They had broad opposition to spiritual authority. And when they got together to worship, it was worse, not better. This is a messed up church. This is a messy situation. And Paul decided instead of just uh, mocking and ridiculing, he would correct and then he would encourage by identifying evidences of grace that he saw. So in the opening lines of his letter in 1 Corinthians, Paul communicates a passionate affection for this church that is remarkable given their issues. He starts out in verse 4 by saying, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He was very warm. Only those who are humble can consistently identify evidences of grace in others who need adjustment. It's something that the proud and self-righteous are incapable of. So Paul saw them from a divine perspective, and he allowed this perspective to determine his attitude towards them. So in order to do that, here's where we can start. Be familiar with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in the Christian believer. Be familiar with the gifts of the Spirit. In Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, there's lists. Think of the person you want to affirm in this way and um, pick out one of those things that you see in them. So it is, uh, uh, you'll start to become aware that God is at work everywhere. 
and you'll start to see it in people. And it's a joy to draw attention to God's work in and through them. Just this summer, for fun, I picked out a few people just to kind of practice this a little bit. So uh, one person that came to mind was Dave Lee. Where did I saw him? Right there, Dave Lee. Um, Dave Lee, when he serves, he's full of kindness and he's concerned for everyone in his path. I think there's even two Dave Lees in the room. Um, but I, I, you're both great, but I'm p- picking on him, okay? Uh, Dave was my Hope Group table leader on Friday mornings, and I see kindness and service in him, and that's an evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in his life, is that kindness is coming out. He's a very kind person. Cass Becker. Cass Becker is a person full of goodness. When you see the work she does, the ministry she does is good. You see uh, Awana was good. Night in Bethlehem and VBS were good. And Cass uh, just exudes that. People like Pat Haggerty and others who push through physical pain and difficulty in walking in order to worship and work for Christ faithfully for our body. Mike Brooks, one of our elders, you ooze peace. Through many personal and church storms, you remain calm. God is at work in your hearts. Heidi Jay-Z and the joy of the Lord you have in leading children is infecting our children. They're loving Jesus because you have joy Thank you for that. That's evidence of God working in you. Pat and Norma O'Connell have a steady love for people, and they um, have a concern, and they touch people at many, many different levels. And it's fun to see God working and and producing the, 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 the fruit of love in them and having that benefit our body. So God is at work everywhere. That's just a handful of people who are serving the Lord faithfully And um, identifying evidences of grace in people is a way with a humble heart to love those who you don't love, to love the annoying person. How can I, instead of focusing on all the things that bug me about this person, um, how about focusing on where God is at work in their heart? We're all in need of grace. I need to hear this. You need to hear this. There's no one you know that doesn't need more grace. We all appreciate knowing what others that others can see God's grace working in us. So let's tell them, especially those who are difficult to love. Point one, love those who annoy you, who drain you, who frustrate you, irritate you. Point two starts taking us down a darker path, a harder path, and we'll call it this, uh, love people who intimidate you. Love people who intimidate you. These people are hardest to love because they come with pain. They come with memories. They come with suffering. They come with loss. They come with life-altering impact at times. They range from people that can intimidate all the way down to people that can bring actual terror into our lives. The Bible uses the term enemy to describe them. God has allowed them in our lives, and we will probably never be able to make sense of it. Trusting him completely and depending on him fully are areas we will have to grow in. <clears throat> so write down these subpoints. God wants us always to bless, never curse. Again, we're going to see this now as God is going to say, these people that intimidate you, bless, don't curse, never curse. Write this down as well. Always speak and act honorably, never retaliate. Let me read from Romans 
12 and uh, read the last few verses of the section, 17 through 21, as it talks about these people. <clears throat> Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. <clears throat> okay, so bless and curse and don't curse. Bless and don't curse the bully at work. Okay, all right, I can do that. But the drunk driver, my ex who continues to hurt me, the thief, the abuser, yesterday's shooters in El Paso and Dayton. You see, this starts going very deep and very dark. So we turn to 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23, because the deeper and darker you go down this path, the harder it is to kind of have this kind of like kind response because it rips us up. If we've been touched personally, it's devastating. How do we get through it? So we focus, we go right to the cross. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23 says, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Those are weighty words. <clears throat> Our mouth may hang open at where this path can lead us, but we have the example of Christ. The death of Christ was the most unjust, ungodly, evil act by far in the history of humanity. God's son came to earth and was murdered by humans. My sin and your sin put him there. And yet Christ, while suffering terribly for our sins, did not seek vengeance. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He blessed his murderers. He entrusted himself to God, who judges justly, and left vengeance up to him. Why did he do that? That some might <clears throat> repent and be forgiven. They had eternity at stake. Eternity. Not just 70 years on earth, but eternity. That some might repent and be forgiven. Like a Roman guard, or a crucified thief, or members of the Jewish, Jewish ruling council. Jesus overcame the evil so that we might have eternal life. He heaped burning coals on their head. The expression, he heaped burning coals on their head, means he blessed with his words and he blessed with his actions those who were tearing him apart so they might repent and be saved and restored. Tim Keller says, the secret of overcoming evil is to see evil as something above and distinct from the evildoer. To see evil as something above and distinct from the evildoer. This helps us not dehumanize the evildoer. This helps us to forgive, love, and show kindness to the evildoer. Keller says that overcoming evil results in two things. And the passage tells us, do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. And so overcoming evil results in these two things. One in us, the spread of evil is checked in us. Its hatred and its pride do not infect us when we overcome evil with good. We don't have to be infected by it. And two, the spread of evil may be checked in the perpetrator. They may be softened and they may be helped by our love. It may lead to their shame, their alarm, their remorse, and even their repentance as they are being rebuked by our kindness. So kind words and actions, not just warm thoughts, are needed. If you just, I'll try not to think bad of them, that won't get us very far, but we need to verbally not curse and bless. We need to, with our actions, extend mercy to our enemy, just, just like the mercy that God extended to us, which will give them the chance to feel the shame and disgrace of their actions, which can lead to remorse and repentance, instead of the curse that their sin will bring them. They are under God's curse for sin, and our mercy may just keep them from experiencing that curse directly. That's what somebody did for me and for you. Somebody showed mercy by preaching the word of God to me so that I might not be cursed by God, and that happened to you as well if you know Christ. That's what Christ did for you. Christ looked past our indifference. He looked past our disregard, our rejection, our hostility toward him and offered us a blessing instead. He didn't retaliate when he was being abused because of what I did wrong. He gave you time to repent and he left vindication up to God the Father. So a question for us is, have you received God's mercy through his son Jesus Christ? Have you experienced and benefited from that mercy? He is being so patient with you. He wants you back and he wants you to follow him. And you can ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and come into your life today. And if you want to talk more about that, we're going to have a prayer team down here at the end of the service. Please come and get prayer and talk to them about receiving the mercy of Jesus Christ and to have your sins forgiven and make you fit for heaven. Third sub-point, write this down. Always trust God's timing, never seek to even the score. That's how we'll word the verses at the end of the chapter. Always trust God's timing, never seek to even the score. So we have a book in the Harvest Store called The Heavenly Man. It's got a blue cover. Uh, it's about, uh, it, it tells the story of the Chinese house church movement in the last 30 years through the eyes of a family of one of the pastors named Brother Yoon. We don't know harassment or persecution in the States for following Christ, but many do around the world, as we know. But in this particular area of China, the house church believers are imprisoned, harassed, tortured, and even some killed for staying true to Jesus. So this takes us down the road of even the hardest part of following the command, bless your persecutors, do not curse them. We can't relate to this as a country yet, but we can lean in to what our brothers and sisters around the world and the persecuted church are experiencing. So the heavenly man reads like the book of Acts happening again in China as God was doing powerful and miraculous things in the last 30 years. Things like rescuing the pastor from prison and healing a family member and many, many other things. Brother Yoon was personally arrested many times and spent a number of years in prison. He and his family miraculously escaped China and were spared further abuse 
torture, and certain death that he was facing at the hands of the government. He ran. He tried to get away. He defended himself. He even escaped. But he was kind and respectful to his captors. He didn't curse them. He blessed them. He didn't seek revenge for the injustice. He'd ask questions about how their families were doing. He was very kind even when they were torturing him. Now, since he's escaped, he travels around the world building a plan for 100,000 Chinese believers to become missionaries in some of the most unreached people group areas in the world, sharing the gospel with Hindu, Muslim, and Buddhist people in countries just outside of China towards Middle East and, and that region of the world. Many of the missionaries in training have faced significant persecution, which has trained them for the mission ahead. Their, their, their feeling is, what can they do to us in these countries that hasn't already been done to us? They look at their persecutors as trainers, not enemies, as they believe God is using them to ready these missionaries for ministry through the fire. It's an amazing book. After one message that Brother Yoon spoke at a church in Canada after he escaped China, a woman came up to him and said, I'm going to pray that God will overthrow the communist government in China. Brother Yoon said, no, don't do that. Instead, pray for the peace of our country. Don't pray for the downfall of the government. Pray instead that God would give us stronger backs to carry the load he has for us. Amazing. These special believers there are entrusting their lives to God who judges justly, leaving vengeance up to him while blessing their nation and bringing the good news to the unreached world. They're going through the darkest tunnel and they're coming out like that. It's unbelievable. As we wrap up this morning, I'd like us to consider three questions. You can write these down or fill in the blanks on the back page of your bulletin. How can I show kindness to someone who is hard to love right now? How can I show kindness to someone who is hard to love right now? Who is on that list? In preparing for this sermon, my mind has has, uh, come up with a few people currently and in the past where I've kind of just swaggered by in my spirit, and and I'm noticing it, and that has to be repented of, and it has been. And um, that is not fitting for what God wants for me. Always love, never curse. Who can I show, how can I show kindness to someone who is hard to love right now? I wonder um, how many lists I will be on after today. Hopefully not too many. Second question. How can I act honorably toward those who are different from me? I think specifically in my mind of the political arena that I addressed earlier. The issues we face are polarizing. We may feel more strongly about some of the issues than ever. It's good to have a handle, our hand on the wheel of truth, but we have to have our hand on the wheel of love as well. The Lord isn't honored if we care only to be right but not loving. Will you help set a different tone in your circles than the condescending, arrogant tone, the haughty tone, the sarcastic tone that is widespread today? Will you do that? Where can you do that? You see your social media posts and go, whoa, I've got to pull back. I've got to set a different tone. And then third, uh, if we could post the, uh, on the screen the uh, websites, what step can I take to participate with the persecuted church around the world? One thing you can do is visit the websites on the screen. It will have a momentarily. 
sign up to pray regularly for people suffering for their faith in Christ around the world. Uh-oh, I might have messed something up. There are ways you can pray regularly by an email that you get in your inbox for the persecuted church. We can lean into their hardship and help them while preparing ourselves for the day that persecution is coming, perhaps in the U.S. We'll get those up. They're in there somewhere. I wanted to end with a post that I saw today because as I'm, as I'm uh, getting ready this morning, I was reading about just a, a bevy of tragedies that we've had in our country in the last few days. Shooting in El Paso, shooting in Dayton, Ohio, and then even the news um, in Chicago, 33, at least 33 people shot in Chicago over the weekend, three dead. And Ravi Zacharias posted something that I thought I would read as we wrap up as a way for us to respond. We need to pray. We need to lean in when uh, we rejoice with those who rejoice, but we also weep with those who weep. And he says this, I have just heard the news of the tragic killing in El Paso, Texas. It is described as a hate crime. Words and descriptions may bring very little comfort to the bereaved. A news reporter walked over to a man weeping on another man's shoulder. The reporter asked him if he could help in any way. The man, totally distraught and broken, looked at the reporter and said, I've just lost my mother. The reporter could say nothing but could not hold back his own tears. That is probably the only response that is fitting, to weep with those who weep. Hate and death are the language of the enemy of our souls. Love and life are the language of our Savior. I remember a man once telling me, years after he lost his daughter, I used to think that time was a healer. I have changed my mind. Time is not a healer. It is only a revealer of how God does the healing. And then he concludes by saying, May our Lord bring healing to this horrible wound in the lives of so many. We weep with them and pray for the touch of God's comfort. So I thought it would be fitting for us to take a moment and for us to pray silently for the victims in these areas, in El Paso, in Dayton, Ohio, and in Chicago, of senseless violence. Uh, They need a God who cares. They need to know that this God is enough, and they need our love and support. And so take a moment to pray silently, and then I'll close in a prayer. Our Lord, uh, in times like these, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We know that the word says that the prayers of God's people are powerful and effective, so we call on you. We pray pray to you because we know you are good and you are strong, and we pray and reaffirm our faith in the only Savior, Jesus, Messiah. We pray for the victims. We we plead for your, your comfort. And then we think of Psalm 34, 1, that we pray that every victim will have in their heart and mind. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in our mouths. Help the the victims. Help us, Lord, to love well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.